Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And you know what the fastest way to ensure there's another big document dump in the Epic Games versus Apple cases is to tell one of your commenters that you don't plan on talking about Epic versus Apple anytime soon. And yes, lo and behold, not three hours after I put that comment in my YouTube channel, Apple decided to lay the biggest bomb of all on Epic. They are not only defending Epic's claims against them, they are actually filing a countersuit against Epic. And in that countersuit, they are asking for things like punitive damages, damages that the court can award for punishing a bad actor that is deliberately using the law in a bad way. Not just the damages that Apple has itself incurred, but extra money that the court can impose because Apple feels like Epic has acted fraudulently and maliciously and wrongly. So with that as the backdrop and in the shadow of a video in which we titled Epic Makes Its Strongest Case Yet, we have an apology from me. Because earlier in this series, this Epic versus Everyone series that has now branched out into 15 videos, will be 16 when this finally gets uploaded, I used a title that I really should have saved until today. And that title was Apple Strikes Back. No, instead, we went today with Apple Brings the Fire, which is not a colloquialism that I use very often. But in reading the document that Apple put out today, it seemed 100% appropriate. Now, as you can see on your screen, this is a 67-page document. We try our best here in virtual legality to not be in the business of boring you to tears with legal documentation. And so in 67 pages, we are going to do our best to, to shorten that, to bring that down to really the brass tacks, the actual fundamental issues that Apple is raising. But as part of that, we've got a lot of rhetoric. We talked a lot at the start of this series about Epic's initial claim against Apple and how they had framed that claim as a series of pages really designed to be picked up by the Polygons and Kotakus and the Verges of the world in order to act essentially as press materials. And we commented on the fact that Apple, in opposing the request for temporary restraining order that Epic put in and having the various fights that Apple had with Epic, was acting on a far more not genteel exactly, but professionalized basis until today. Today, while still professional, and this is no disparagement about either of these two giant law firms that are doing a great job of representing their clients in this massive multinational fight, today, Apple has put forth its document that is intended to be read by journalists, to be quoted in various places like Kotaku and The Verge and CNN, I believe I saw this afternoon. And you can see it right from the start. We're going to do a pretty deep dive of the introductory statement. This is the rhetoric. This is the feeling that Apple wants you to have about this document. We're then going to look at their responses to the claim that Epic made. That's a very legal easy type of section to this document. That's one where they say, we deny everything they said in this paragraph, except this small thing. We deny all of this and all of this. And those are legal conclusions, judge. We don't have to say anything about them, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to go pretty quickly through that section. And then we are going to arrive at two sections that are maybe a little bit more interesting. One, we see Apple throw every defense they can think of at Epic's claims. I believe they come out in the mid 20s in the defenses that they bring. And then Really interestingly, they file a counterclaim against Epic for things like conversion, which is the legal word for stealing, that they're accusing Epic of stealing from them. They're accusing Epic of 
maliciously engaging in fraud to steal from them, to sign that license agreement up the same day that they would demand a side agreement to better Epic's position against their competitors and other developers in the App Store. And really, at the end of the day, you will see that this is Apple at its strongest, certainly rhetorically. You don't have to agree with the positions that they take, but this is Apple's about face, their return volley to Epic and Epic's attempt to really have a marketing campaign that paints Apple as a monolithic, monopolistic bad guy. So let's dive in. Epic's lawsuit is nothing more than a basic disagreement over money. Although Epic portrays itself as a modern corporate Robin Hood, in reality, it is a multi-billion dollar enterprise that simply wants to pay nothing for the tremendous value it derives from the App Store. In fact, as part of this series, we have talked about the fact that although Epic has this self-righteousness and, oh, we had to do this for the greater good, coming out of Tim Sweeney's tweets and various parts of their motions and various things, they really aren't. That even if you want to believe Epic's rhetoric on this, there is no question that they would benefit greatly from not having to pay Apple 30%, from being able to have a fully iOS-supported app store on the iPhone and on the iPad, and Apple isn't going to let you forget it as part of this document. For years, Epic took advantage of everything the app store had to offer. It enjoyed the tremendous resources that Apple pours into its app store to constantly innovate, and create new opportunities for developers and experiences for customers, as well as to review and approve every app, keeping the App Store safe and secure for customers and developers alike. And this gets to the main argument about the 30% that Epic makes. And we saw this in the Game Theorist video. We saw this kind of echoed in various places online that the 30% is 10 times too high because all Apple should get for an in-app purchase is 3% because they are Stripe or they are PayPal and they are just processing a payment that all of the effort that they put into the App Store, into the iOS and to selling iPhones and iPads, that shouldn't count that they should just be treated as a third-party internet pay provider. And we've said any number of times in this space that I don't think that argument holds water. Certainly, you can bring a comment to this video explaining to me why you think it should hold water. Always amenable to reasonable disagreement in this space. But I think Apple has by far the better part of this, that the iOS and the App Store is much more akin to a retail space or a franchisor that has invested all this money in the branding and the sales of the hardware and all of these things. And if you think 30% is too high, absolutely, we can have that discussion. I personally think it's probably too high since that's the same amount that physical retailers get. But to actually lower that to 0%, that Epic should be allowed to be on the iOS for no money, that they should be able to get direct payments and get the benefits of the sales of the iPhone and the iPad, I don't think that really makes sense. And I think Apple should be allowed to pursue this business model. Epic has taken advantage of Apple's support and services more than any other app developer for the past two years. Fortnite has only been in the App Store since 2018, but in that short time, Fortnite has used more than 400 of Apple's unique application programming interface frameworks and classes, as well as five different versions of Apple's software development kit. Has been reviewed more than 200 times by Apple's app reviewers, and has pushed more than 140 unique updates to Apple's customers. And each time Epic released a new season of Fortnite, Apple put it in the spotlight, providing free promotion and favorable tweets, ultimately sending over 500 million marketing communications to end users, and even paying for a billboard in Times Square to promote a particular Fortnite in-app concert. Now that wasn't done out of the beneficence of Apple's heart. 
That was done because Apple makes 30% of the money that you spend in Fortnite. And in contract law, in business, in economic terms, we consider that in general to be a good thing, that these two parties are aligned in incentives, that that's a good contract, that Apple has the incentive to provide, quote unquote, for free for a billboard in Times Square because it knows it gets a cut of those profits. But it is worth noting that Epic definitely availed itself of these support classes that Apple gave to Epic. And so whether or not you think that's of some value, it is certainly of something different than Stripe and PayPal and simple payment processing, which is one of the things that Apple will be trying to establish here. They also establish, importantly, that on June 30th, 2020, which is the same day as we will see that Epic actually signed back up for the licensor agreement with Apple, Epic CEO Tim Sweeney, as described by Apple here, emailed Apple executives requesting a side letter that would exempt Epic from its existing contractual obligations. Now, we've covered this topic in this space, and it was one of those areas where people really disagreed about what this thing meant. Tim Sweeney went out with a tweet on August 21st that said, Apple's statement about all of this is misleading. You can read my email in Apple's filing, which is publicly available. I specifically said in Epic's request to the Apple execs, we hope that Apple will also make these options equally available to all iOS developers. And I said, hey, I mean, we know we need a side letter, so let's get one done. Can't really be construed another way. Adding, oh, and maybe change the terms for others too doesn't change the ask. And if we actually go in and we look at this letter, we see that that's exactly what he winds up saying. He says, hey, I know we will need a side letter on all of this. I know we will need special dispensation and maybe, yeah, extend that to other people. But they say Apple's contracts and standards documents contain restrictive provisions that prohibit Epic from offering a competing app store. Apple would need to provide a side letter or alter its contracts and standards documents to remove such restrictions to allow Epic to provide a competing app store. Please do this for us. And Apple said, no. And this was always a bone of contention, certainly for me, but obviously for Apple. When you have Tim Sweeney going out there and saying, we never asked for any special dispensation, you'll see Apple deny that in a number of places in this document itself. But that letter, couched even as it was because they knew they were preparing this lawsuit, was still a request for special treatment. And let me be on Epic's side here for a second. Side letters are not all that unusual. People have come into the comments to my channel here and have said, well, I know that Amazon got a different deal with Apple. I know that various other parties are negotiating these non-negotiable rates with different companies outside of Apple in the digital space or the physical space. Look, I'm a commercial contract attorney. I have a plethora of side letters that I have helped to draft and negotiate. And absolutely, every single non-negotiable contract in the world is negotiable. If your side of the table is important enough, if you have enough leverage, if you have enough money in play and the other side is inclined to listen to you. So yeah, Epic could have come to Apple and said, hey, we want 25% instead of 30%. And Apple will take that phone call. It doesn't mean that they'll necessarily agree to do it. But yeah, every party in the world enters into side letters on a regular basis. And so Apple has a potential problem with that as part of an antitrust lawsuit, if they are treating specific classes of people on a beneficial basis that especially are in Apple's integration chain somehow, those would all be problems. But in any given case, they can, of course, negotiate their own contract terms. Epic knows that. Apple is just trying to cut out the legs of Epic claiming to be this beneficent Robin Hood that isn't trying to do anything for itself.
Mr. Sweeney expressly acknowledged that his proposed changes would be in direct breach of multiple terms of the agreements between Epic and Apple. Yeah, I think one of the things that's really funny or interesting about this case is that Epic, unlike many plaintiffs, don't even claim that they aren't in breach of this agreement. They actually go to the next level up. If we were looking at criminal law or something related to the government, this would be saying that the statute itself is illegal or unconstitutional. This is saying the entire contract, we might be in breach of it, judge, but the entire contract should be thrown out. Which just like we talked about when we were talking about the Epic case earlier this weekend, you have to assume when you read one of these documents that the side you're reading is right. Because if they are wrong, then everything that they argue also is wrong. If Epic is right that Apple's activities here are a potential antitrust violation, that they are in violation of the Sherman Antitrust Act, then the court shouldn't be enforcing a contract that is otherwise illegal. If we believe, or at the end of the day, the court determines that Apple's business model here is perfectly legal, then everything that Epic has done is this kind of breach of agreement. We will see that everything that Apple has said is accurate. All of the damages that they ask for are deserved, are earned by Apple, if their contract is allowed to be deemed valid in the United States and particularly in California. Then we have Apple's description of what happened on August 13th. And I think the judge agrees with this. If you actually go and you read the temporary restraining order language, they have described Epic as essentially surreptitiously creating a marketing moment behind all of this. And Apple describes it as unbeknownst to Apple, Epic had been busy enlisting a legion of lawyers, publicists, and technicians to orchestrate a sneak assault on the App Store. One of the really interesting things about this is the timing component, right? We are today on September 8th, 2020. We are effectively a full month or so after this all went down. And Epic was ready to file a federal lawsuit within an hour of when Apple pulled Fortnite down off the store. And I said, hey, this has been in the works. They baited Apple. They had actually drafted this document for weeks, if not months in advance. And you can really see that timeline play out right now. This happened on August 13th. Apple has been responding to things like the temporary restraining order request, but this defense and countersuit took them almost a full month from when the actual dispute arose to their public eye. And that's normal. They will have spent hundreds of hours, if not, well, not thousands, but at least hundreds of hours paying lawyers to put this document together for them. And it is only available to be published now in early September when this all happened in early August. They then get into the full rhetoric. Hours after Mr. Sweeney's 2 a.m. email, Epic triggered the hotfix it previously planted in Fortnite to push through a new external payment runaround which Epic had deliberately concealed from Apple's app review process that usurped Apple's commission and brazenly flouted its rules. I love lawyer talk. This was little more than theft. Epic sought to enjoy all of the benefits of Apple's iOS platform and related services while its hotfix lined Epic's pockets at Apple's expense. Following Epic's open, admitted, and deliberate breach of its contractual obligations and the cold-blooded launch of its hotfix, Apple rightfully enforced its rights under the contractual agreements and the guidelines by removing the non-compliant Fortnite app from the App Store. In keeping with its self-serving narrative, Epic attempts to recast Apple's conduct as retaliation. But the exercise of a contractual right in response to an open and admitted breach is not retaliation. It is the very thing to which the parties agreed ex ante. 
In other words, when they entered into the agreement before this dispute arose, Epic then proceeded to launch a calculated and prepackaged campaign against Apple on a multitude of fronts, creative, technical, business, and legal, as Mr. Sweeney had previously threatened. Said another way, Apple is using all of the language in the books to establish that Epic acted deliberately and maliciously with intent to violate its agreements, struck in the dark of night, and resulted in what they describe as theft. This is really as rhetorically powerful as a major multinational corporation gets in one of these suits. Epic's wrong-headed complaint is fatally flawed on the facts and law. For starters, Apple is not a monopolist of any relevant market. Now, this is the primary fight that will happen in this case, as we have said again and again in this series. Epic has asserted that the app distribution on iOS market is a relevant antitrust market. And despite what the black letter language of the Sherman Antitrust Act might lead you to believe, not every market that you can imagine is a relevant antitrust market. And it has been the standard business model for hardware and software manufacturers to have control of the OS on specifically dedicated hardware. Now, Epic wants to frame the phone as a general computing device, much more akin to a PC than an Xbox or a PlayStation, and certainly reasonable minds can differ on that score. But it would be a major court decision to determine that the hardware manufacturer of something like the iPhone that created an OS specifically to operate that device, like the iOS, cannot in some manner, in some fashion, control access and the terms and conditions of that operating system. And that's what Apple is trying to establish here. They're also trying to establish, specifically for Fortnite, that Fortnite was not prevented from getting out to other people. As they say in the next line highlighted here, Fortnite users can dance their floss, ride their sharks, and spend their V-Bucks in no fewer than six different mobile PC and game console platforms. In fact, I think I personally have copies on at least the PC, Switch, Xbox, and PlayStation. So Apple's undoubtedly correct that if you want to access Fortnite, you can access Fortnite outside of iOS. Next, they say Epic blasts as pretext the idea that Apple's curation of the App Store is necessary to enforce privacy and security safeguards. But Apple's requirement that every iOS app undergo rigorous human-assisted review with reviewers representing 81 languages vetting an average of 100,000 submissions per week is critical to its ability to maintain the App Store as a secure and trusted platform for consumers to discover and download software. Epic knows this. Indeed, when Epic itself sells a product to customers, it too feels it has a responsibility, in Mr. Sweeney's words, to moderate for a reasonable level of quality and also a reasonable level of decency. Now that is a banger, right? So they pull out this Eurogamer interview from March of 2019 called Tim Sweeney on why players should embrace the Epic Game Store and says, look, judge, Epic, they run their own garden. Maybe its walls aren't so high because it's on the PC, but they curate the crap out of it, judge. And why do they say they curate it? It's to maintain a reasonable level of quality and a reasonable level of decency. How can you suggest, plaintiff, that we should not have the rights to also curate our own store? You might disagree with how we do it, but the court doesn't need to step in to adjudicate this dispute where Epic complains about what decisions Apple makes 
because we don't complain about what decisions you make and it's not the province of a court of law. This is a heck of a quote and I found it to be very interesting and very rhetorically effective. Not content with attacking Apple's app review process, Epic, backed by the tech giant Tencent. Now, lawyers aren't above just throwing in some random Chinese company references just in case the judge will be amenable to those specific references. Not sure Tencent's ownership of Epic actually changes anything relevant in the law here. But again, this is Apple's rhetorical flourish time. They also seek to dismantle the App Store's entire business model to advance its own economic interests without regard to the effect on other developers and consumers. Under the current model, developers like Epic contractually agree to pay Apple a commission for its services. And this is exactly right. Apple is trying to shorten this argument. It's an antitrust argument. That's fine, Judge. But understand what Epic is actually arguing. Epic is arguing that the walled garden model of hardware manufacturers to actually have this garden that they curate and control should be illegal. And Judge, hey, you can agree with that, but understand that that's the entire business model. That is entirely how this model functions. And you will have to declare that whole model illegal, as well as the model used by hardware manufacturers and developers across the country in various industries. So you have to understand the impact that this will have. And Apple is right about that. Epic tries to slice the onion thinly and says, no, this only applies to general communication devices, but there is no reasonable line of demarcation under the law to separate your cell phone from your PlayStation 5. If it is illegal to manufacture hardware and then to control app distribution on that hardware, then it's illegal. And that's something the judge needs to be aware of and is, in fact, Epic's theory of the case. The commission that Apple earns reflects the immense value of the App Store, which is more than the sum of its parts and includes Apple's technology tools, software for app development and testing, marketing efforts, platinum level customer service, and distribution of developers' apps and digital content. Hey, when you got marketers ready to draft some language, you got to put the marketers to work. Platinum level customer service. Now, of course, Apple is going to sing high its many values in a court document like this. I am sure many of you in my comments will tell me about how Apple and their app ecosystem or their relationships with developers are problematic. Lord knows I have had my own issues with Apple customer service and interacting with them on a contract basis or otherwise. But they do make the claim that the App Store has some kind of value and it's difficult to argue against the overall thrust of that claim when even Epic's document says, hey, look, 1.5 some odd billion people decided to buy this product. And Apple can say they decided to buy it because of all this stuff we do and all this stuff we provide. And a court is generally not going to jump in and say, nah, it's not because of that. It's because you have done something else. There is nothing anti-competitive about charging a commission for others to use one service. Many platforms, including Epic's own app marketplace and Unreal Engine, do just that. For the more than 80% of apps available to customers for free on the App Store, this means Apple earns no commission whatsoever. They're better call Saul, right? Works on commission. No money down. Hey, if you don't sell anything, we give you all the tools anyway. You can be on the ecosystem because, frankly, that robustness in the ecosystem is beneficial to our selling of phones. But we don't get money if you don't sell your product. In its motion for a preliminary injunction, Epic boldly suggests that Apple monetized the App Store by charging a regressive per-download fee. 
leaving consumers and developers on the hook to pay for what otherwise would be billions of free app downloads. Now that is a nice rhetorical twist as well. If you weren't following along in this series, in their motion for a preliminary injunction, that's the one we actually looked at earlier this weekend, they said, hey, you know, Apple doesn't have to charge this 30%. They could just charge everybody per download. And Apple says, yeah, we could. And as we commented in that video, the businesses are generally allowed to pursue whatever legal business model they want. And the court doesn't say this business model is right and this business model is wrong. And Apple says, we don't want to do that. And then they turn around on Epic and say, Epic, you're making a fortune in Fortnite, hundreds of millions of dollars. And you would have us give you your access for free so that we could charge you per download and everybody else that is running uh, some kind of productivity app and is giving it out for free that nobody should be allowed to have that free access to the app store because you're willing to burn the whole model down. And I find that to be a pretty effective rhetorical device as well. While Epic and its CEO take issue with the terms on which Apple has since 2008 provided the app store to all developers, this does not provide cover for Epic 2, breach binding contracts, dupe a longtime business partner, pocket commissions that rightfully belong to Apple, and then ask this court to take a judicial sledgehammer to one of the 21st century's most innovative business platforms, simply because it does not maximize Epic's revenues. Now, of course, rhetorical language throughout in this introductory statement, and we can agree to disagree on whether or not Apple is one of the 21st century's most innovative business platforms, but certainly the digital revolution, the iPhone, other smartphones have been a major, major evolutionary step in the internet and the way we conduct business and live our lives. You also see language here about duping and things that don't necessarily have legal relevance, but are trying to set the tone judge for the fact that Epic is a bad actor. They stole from us. They did all this deliberately. Apple looks forward to defending against Epic's baseless claims. This court should hold Epic to its contractual promises, award Apple compensatory, that's just the money we lost, and punitive damages, extra money because they're extra bad, and enjoin Epic from engaging in further unfair business practices. We'll get to the injunction that Apple wants at the end of this video. But suffice it to say, that introductory statement is Apple bringing the fire in legal terms, using Epic's own language against it in many, many instances, and saying, Judge, look, this is a fight between a billion-dollar company, and yeah, we have trillions, but it's still just a fight about money. So don't listen to their self-righteousness. Don't listen to all of Tim Sweeney's tweets about doing this for the greater good and everything else. Focus on the law, focus on the facts, and judge, in Apple's opinion, you will see that Epic violated their contracts. They did so willfully. They suckered us into extending the contract on the same day when this plan was hatched, and we've lost a fortune abiding by what they wanted to do. And frankly, judge, we should be allowed to cut off Epic, including their Unreal Engine branches, entirely. Now we go to the rest of the document. We've got some answers to their individual paragraphs. Now, if you haven't read one of these before, this is their defense to Epic's claim. Now, I haven't brought up Epic's document at the same time because it's not overly useful, but every numbered paragraph you see here corresponds to a numbered paragraph in Epic's original complaint. Now, for the most part, what you will see in this document is Apple basically denying every allegation of any legal merit that Epic makes against Apple. They also admit to certain things because under the law, you have to be as truthful as possible and you have to admit to those things that you know to be true. So they say things like, Apple admits that its advertisement for the Macintosh, it was breathtaking. 
and that its product was a beneficial revolutionary force in the computing industry. Thanks for saying so, Epic. You got to love these, right? Apple's being just a little bit snarky in some of these responses, and they will admit to everything nice that Epic says about Macintosh or Apple, and they do that in a number of places throughout. But mostly you get paragraphs that say something along the lines of, Apple denies the allegations that Epic put forth, or one of the other common ones is, to the extent the allegations in paragraph numbered whatever are legal conclusions and characterizations, no responsive pleading is required. We are only required to answer things about facts, facts that we know to be false, facts that we know to be true. If they made a legal argument that, oh, this is clearly an antitrust violation, that's for the judge to determine. And so we don't have to respond to it in this particular pleading. They also say, hey, MacBooks are MacBooks. And then you get into the very specifics, right? They have a number of instances where they say things like this. Apple denies any remaining allegations in paragraph six and specifically denies something that Epic is not seeking favorable treatment for itself. So if you go and you break all this down, you start to get the thrust of Apple's arguments, which thankfully Apple really put forth in their introductory statement pretty effectively. But here in paragraph six, we see one of the main ones is, yo, Epic is not trying to do this just for the benefit of all mankind. They are going to benefit by this directly. They have an email to that effect. This was all sprung on us so that Epic could make more money. Don't be snowed, judge, by what Epic is trying to do. We specifically deny that Epic is not seeking favorable treatment for itself. And we wanted to call it out here, even though that would have been covered by Apple denies any remaining allegations. We wanted to make sure we signposted exactly what we had a problem with in this particular paragraph. And you get a ton of these. You get Apple admits that users of its Mac and MacBook computers may obtain software from the Mac App Store or sideloaded software like Epic's Fortnite from third-party stores and through direct download from a developer's website. We admit that the Mac and MacBook are different from the iPhone and that we treat it differently. We admit that Epic demanded that Apple enter into a side agreement that would allow Epic to circumvent our guidelines that apply to every app in the App Store. Apple further admits that it rejected Epic's unreasonable demands. We added a little color there if we're Apple's attorneys. That uh, We continue on. They talk about parties. They talk about jurisdiction and venue, the relevant facts behind all of this. This isn't kind of the legally operative stuff. And then we get a couple of more admissions about how wonderful we are. Apple admits that its active installed base of devices has surpassed 1.5 billion. Apple admits that the App Store connects developers with, well, it is an enormous community of consumers in 175 countries. Again, thank you for saying so. Apple specifically denies that app developers cannot distribute their apps to iOS users on a non-iOS app store. Apple averts that Epic can and does distribute Fortnite and other products to Apple's customers through numerous channels. So understand what this is. This doesn't actually come up a lot in this document, but this is one of those little technical arguments that Apple is probably going to throw up a little bit more often as we see the motions kind of continue through this case. This actually says, look, Epic is making the claim that we require them to distribute Fortnite through the iOS when you sign our contract. That's not the case, Judge. We require them if they want to be on the App Store to do certain things to be on that App Store. But otherwise, iOS users like Rick Hogue at Hogue Law can still access Fortnite on a non-iOS App Store. We are not a monopolist that is trying to restrict access. This is not an exclusive, which might come up again with the Epic Game Store. We'll see what Apple does with that. Judge, we aren't doing that. We aren't restricting other people from playing Fortnite. We're just controlling our own walled garden ecosystem. And it's important to establish the difference, Judge, because the one thing, exclusivity, well, somebody could potentially see that as bad. 
and maybe we'll talk about the Epic Game Store later. But for right now, Judge, we just want you to know that what Epic said about app developers not being allowed to release things outside of iOS, that isn't true. They can access Rick Hogue. They can access Joe or Mary or Sue or anybody else through the Switch or the Xbox or the PlayStation or the PC or, hey, maybe even the Mac sometimes. Apple specifically denies that it has a monopoly in any market and that the App Store is the sole means through which consumers may access apps, including Epic's apps. Again, a combination of the other arguments that we've seen so far, as well as the argument that says you can still get Fortnite wherever you want, so what are we fighting about Epic? It's an interesting argument. It's not one that I necessarily anticipated for them. I'm not sure it's one that wins the day, especially if the judge is otherwise amenable to Epic's monopoly complaints, but it is at least a technically interesting one. Apple averts that Epic has taken advantage of ad hoc distribution and that Apple has repeatedly granted Epic permission to exceed the number of ad hoc devices registered to Epic's account. Now, this is paragraph 75. This is Epic talking about the ad hoc program and the developer program that Apple extends to Epic. I thought this was interesting because Apple specifically notes here that Apple and Epic have worked together to allow Epic some leeway when Epic needs more ad hoc devices, when they need to go a little bit outside the bounds of the contract that Apple has with them, that Apple has been amenable to having that conversation. Epic knows that. That's the background for all of this. And Epic still decided to do this kind of breach action despite that relationship with Apple. Now that might come up again. A lot of this is seeding the groundwork for what could be potential defenses and potential arguments in the future. But I thought this was interesting because they're trying to establish that Apple and Epic had worked together on trying to get around or leeway or what Epic needed under the Apple developer program. Continuing on, we see Apple denies the allegations in paragraph 83 and specifically denies that its efforts to enforce privacy and security safeguards are pretext. If you don't remember from the specific section of the Epic complaint, they have argued every single time that basically any reason that Apple could have to control in-app distribution, to control anything really on their app store with respect to the app distribution, the iOS, and the in-app payment processing component are pretext, that they don't have legitimate security concerns, they don't have any of these issues, and Apple says, look, we deny everything they say here, but let's be clear, Judge, that is not pretext. That is what we base our business model around, and we are legitimately concerned about it. Apple specifically denies the alleged absence of competitive pressure for Apple to innovate and improve its own app store. Apple works constantly to make the app store the best place to discover and obtain apps. And specifically, in the next couple of paragraphs, denies that its commission rate is supra-competitive. And that's going to be an almost impossible thing for Epic to show without essentially arguing that the entirety of all digital markets are little siloed monopolies. Because as we've pointed out in this series, you don't have an illegal action solely with monopoly power. Apple could absolutely lose that argument. We are a monopolist. And if they can't show illegal per se tying, if they can't show that Apple is otherwise using the monopoly power to do something bad, specifically to charge their developers more than those developers might otherwise be charged in a competitive landscape, then Epic is most likely going to lose even if they win the existence of a monopoly market argument. So Apple says, look, 30%. 30% on Steam, 30% here, 30% at Best Buy, at GameStop, on Switch, on Xbox, on PlayStation. Judge, what are we talking about? And that's going to be a very difficult hurdle for Epic to clear. And that's only if they clear the hurdle that the market is a relevant antitrust market to begin with. This is one of the many reasons why I think Epic has a very tough hill to climb in this particular case. 
And we continue on with basic denials. I can assure you Apple denies everything pertinent, every legal allegation against them as part of this document. But I don't really want to go through, what are we at, 171 paragraphs of all this with you. Don't want to bore you to any more tears than you might otherwise already be finding yourself with. I like paragraph 171. Apple admits that its iPhone business is profitable. That's good. It's good for Apple to admit that. Apple makes a fortune through its iPhone and no one would ever begrudge them that, except maybe Epic. And then we get to the specific counts. So they've gone through the paragraphs and now the paragraphs in Epic's complaint have hit the specific counts that they are alleging against Apple. Here we've got unlawful monopoly maintenance in the iOS app distribution market. I've just highlighted for this purpose in this paragraph that you can see that Apple denies each and every one of them. And they have certain limitations. They say, hey, if they're legal conclusions, this doesn't count, et cetera, et cetera. This is what one of these always looks like. Same with Sherman Antitrust Act Section 2, especially they deny that the access to iOS is an essential facility. Now, essential facility is something that we've talked about in this space before. Please do check out the rest of the series. But primarily, it's the notion that access to the iPhone or the iPad is so essential as to be something like food or water or electricity in the modern age. And the Supreme Court of the United States has always had a certain conflicting doctrine with respect to essential facility as a kind of concept. So it's always a long shot type argument here where we're talking about the Fortnite video game in particular. In the case at hand, it's even more of a long shot than it might otherwise be. If this were a productivity app or some kind of phone company that wants access to the iPhone and isn't getting it, maybe you could make this claim. Even then, it would be a tough one. But Apple wants the judge to be very sure that she knows that Apple does not consider the iOS, whatever an essential facility might be under the law. Then we get the rest of their claims, other Sherman Antitrust Act stuff. We're going to ultimately get to the tying, which is really where Epic seems aimed. If we remember their motion for a preliminary injunction and the rest of their complaint, and what they seem to be aimed at is this notion that in-app processing should be separated from app distribution. And one of the things that Apple specifically denies here is that in-app purchase and the app store are two separate products. Obviously, in order to have a claim that you are using your monopoly power in one market to tie something that otherwise people wouldn't buy to that product that they want, there has to be two products. And so Apple thinks its strongest argument, and I would tend to agree, is that what we do on the iPhone is process payments and we collect 30% in order to maintain the ecosystem and to sell iPhones. And you get the benefit of our branding and the benefit of our market and the benefit of our sales. But those aren't two separate products. Those are just two different ways in which money comes into the ecosystem and we collect our commission. So I think Apple ultimately has the better part of this particular argument, but reasonable minds can differ, but they want the judge to be sure that she knows that Apple doesn't consider them to be separate products. Then you get the remaining denials here, denials under California law, and we get to just an overall list of Apple's defenses, right? Pursuant to federal rule of civil procedure 8C, Apple hereby asserts the following defenses. Don't worry, we are not going to go through this 20 plus list of defenses in great detail. We're just going to talk about a few of them. But ultimately what this serves, what purpose this has is to throw everything at the wall that could possibly be a defense to what Epic claimed. So first you say failure to state a cause of action. You know what? They didn't even accuse us of something that was illegal. Second defense, we have legitimate business justifications. At all times, our conduct was reasonable. 
and our actions were undertaken in good faith to advance legitimate business interests. Because the Sherman Antitrust Act is really concerned with unreasonable monopolization power, unreasonable restraint of trade, if we had legitimate business justifications, not just on an anti-competitive basis, that in and of itself can serve as a defense. We can assert that they didn't have an injury. Plaintiff has neither sustained nor is threatened by any injury. They're not entitled to injunctive relief. Any alleged injury to plaintiff is not immediate or, or irreparable or is entirely self-afflicted and plaintiff has an adequate remedy at law. How about causation? Plaintiff's claims are barred because any injuries that they may have suffered were created not but within our control, but outside of our control, including by the plaintiff itself. Foreign Trade Antitrust Improvements Act. They've got specific statutes, including international comedy that says, hey, look, a lot of this activity, the way this contract works, operates outside of the United States. So judge, you have to take into account the fact that it has a foreign component and you can't do certain things with this contract because of that foreign component. Again, these aren't necessarily strong arguments. This is just all the arguments that the lawyers could think of. Ratification, agreement, acquiescence, and consent to the contract terms. Plaintiff's claims are barred in whole or in part because by renewing the term of the agreement on June 30th, the same day that Tim Sweeney contacted Apple to request a side letter exempting plaintiff from certain obligations under the license agreement and under which Apple denied the request, plaintiff continued to enjoy the benefits of the agreement and consented to Apple's conduct. So judge, you should take into account the fact that they did all of this the same day and they breached it anyway. Maybe they've got a statute of limitations claim. Maybe they don't have standing in the court in California. Maybe they failed to join a party. Maybe there's a failure of due process. Hey, you know what? In our contract, they agree to indemnify us for claims. Maybe that's an issue. How about Nor Pennington, which says basically that companies are allowed to go ask various governing bodies for changes in the law that might otherwise affect the other side negatively. Not entirely certain what this has to do with this case, but hey, maybe that's a defense. Our intellectual property rights are defense. Contract, latches. Hey, latches, you know what? They knew about our business model. They've been working with us for a decade. They're latched. They have sat on their rights too long. Even if what we were doing was illegal, they have benefited too much by it for too long and the court shouldn't abide by somehow fixing it for them because it has been too long. They've waived their complaint. They are stopped from bringing the complaint because of that signing on June 30th. They have unclean hands because they breached it. They're illegal. This can't be adjudged. They're unfair in California. They've waived their damages, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So as you can see, Apple has a number of defenses to the claims that are brought against it. Some of them are better sounding than others, but at the end of the day, something will work there or it won't. And that list of defenses probably won't be what seals the deal for either side in this particular case. Then we get to a bit of the fireworks. Apple's counterclaims in reply. So up until now, Epic had sued Apple. Epic then sought a temporary restraining order. Apple opposed that temporary restraining order. The judge heard the temporary restraining order motion and decided in part for Apple in terms of keeping Fortnite off and in part for Epic in terms of allowing Epic to maintain its connections with the Apple developer program, specifically for the Unreal Engine tools. And now... After Epic has now pursued a motion for preliminary injunction, Apple has defended the initial claim and is now suing Epic right back. So this is an escalation in the dispute between Apple and Epic. And as we will see, it's a significant escalation. 
it adds the potential liability. It it increases what we would call exposure under the law for Epic to continue to pursue this line against Apple. So this is effectively a claim document that Apple is now entering against Epic, just as Epic did to kick this whole thing off. So we get the normal jurisdiction and venue, and here are the parties, and here is the background of this whole case. And then let's talk about some contracts, right? Like all other Apple developers who publish apps to the App Store, Epic entered into a number of contracts with Apple. At least two contracts are relevant here. First, Epic is party to a developer agreement, which, inter alia, grants access to Apple's online developer portal and certain development software and resources, and is required to enter any other development relationship with Apple. Inter alia just means in that contract for purposes of this discussion. Second, Epic is party to a developer program license agreement, the license agreement, which, inter alia, grants access to additional tools and software and governs distribution through the App Store for certain apps that use Apple software. So there's two different agreements here. What we've been referring to in the Epic document is the PLA is now referred to as the license agreement in Apple's counterclaim. And then there's an additional developer agreement that really hasn't been referenced a lot in the documents that we have so far read. Then you get a description of Apple's services under the agreement. And here's some important stuff. Under the terms of the license agreement, Apple served as Epic's agent for the marketing and delivery of the licensed applications to end users in the App Store. Apple's responsibilities as Epic's agent included to market, solicit, and obtain orders, provide hosting services, make copies of, format, prepare licensed applications, allow end users to access and reaccess copies, issue invoices for the purchase price payable by end users for the applications, etc. Now, the reason this is important is because this isn't the way that Apple had to structure this. And maybe you're not paying attention if you're just clicking on the button on the App Store, if you have the iOS, either on an iPhone or an iPad. But ultimately, this isn't an interaction that you have with Epic directly. If you go and you buy V-Bucks from Fortnite, you are actually buying them from Apple, who is taking that invoice, taking that money directly and and remitting 70% to Epic. It could have gone the other way. It could have been between you and Epic, and then Epic owes the 30% commission to Apple or whatever percentage that might be. And this is important because Apple's already got a problem with this particular setup. If you remember, we talked about this in respect of our counter discussion to the Game Theorist video. Apple Inc. versus Pepper is something that's going on that was decided by the Supreme Court and ultimately said the following. This was a lawsuit brought by four iPhone owners. They sued Apple alleging that the company was an unlawful monopoly and in the aftermarket for iPhone apps. A similar claim to what Epic is bringing here, but understand that Epic is not an end user. Epic is a developer, so they're in a different seat. Ultimately, Apple would be found to be eligible to be sued. And I know this gets lost in the wash on a number of other YouTube channels. Apple has not been shown to be a monopolist provider of an aftermarket for iPhone apps. What the court decided in Apple versus Pepper is that Apple could be sued by end users. And why could they be sued? The absence of an intermediary in the distribution chain between Apple and the consumer is dispositive. It's a lot of legalese there, right? But ultimately what it means is that because Apple acts in this agent capacity, because as far as the law is concerned, Apple is the seller of V-Bucks, that Apple versus Pepper says, hey, the purchasers of V-Bucks can go and sue Apple for monopolistic behavior if they feel that they were harmed in some way by Apple's quote-unquote monopoly in app distribution. 
So when you start to look at this, Apple is saying, okay, judge, well, understand that we have that role. We have this obligation. We have fulfilled our obligations, but you can't get us coming and going. We can't be eligible to be sued under Apple versus Pepper over here and maybe sued in a kind of semi-functional way by the developers over here, right? We can't have this function in both directions. They have to show that they were damaged somehow by this relationship. And they haven't shown that. They're claiming things about end users and customers because they have to under the Sherman Antitrust Act. But we right now have this kind of confounded legal situation where you've said the end users are directly affected by us, but also the developers. And this is going to be a problem long term. And one of the things that Apple wants to establish here is that they do have this intermediary role. And this is a valuable argument when talking about the fact that Epic is receiving something contractually for the 30% that they are giving over and above the PayPal or Stripe payment processing function. In other words, as Apple says, Apple managed all aspects of Epic's transactions with consumers, hosting Fortnite on the App Store and making it available for download by consumers, promoting and marketing Epic's apps in the App Store, collecting payment from consumers for in-app purchases, and issuing invoices for those purchases and distributing the proceeds of of the sale to Epic. We did all those things for Epic. By prohibiting Epic from effectuating a transaction by means other than IAP and providing that Apple would be entitled to a commission of 30% on all paid transactions made through the IAP, the license agreement guarantees Apple both the right and the means to collect the agreed upon commission effectively for all those services, right? And we've talked about this prior in the series, but 30% might seem high and in fact, I've said, hey, that seems a little bit high to me, but one of the reasons it seems high is because Apple isn't charging a huge swath of its app developers because they're offering their products for free or otherwise not making money. Those still need to get reviewed. Those still need to get Apple support. Apple still needs to serve as agent in the functions that are described in this complaint, but they don't make money on those. So they make money off of the companies and the developments and the apps that do make money. And that's not an unusual setup for business either, that you have this percentage that might seem a little bit high because there is so much risk involved for somebody like Apple that's not going to make money providing these services to so many other apps. A dedicated app store team at Apple reviews every app for conformance with these contractual standards to ensure that the apps on the app store are safe, secure, and reliable, that they work as intended, that they adhere to Apple's rules on user privacy, that they protect consumers from malware and threats, that they use appropriate business models, interesting, given the fight here, and that they do not offer content such as pornography or real money gambling. And we can all agree that maybe Apple isn't 100% successful on this front, but I think we can also agree that there is a value in potentially having an effective curator, and we can talk about whether or not Apple is that effective curator, to try to make sure about these things, that they are safe, secure, and reliable, that you don't pay $10 for an app that just doesn't function or doesn't come close to functioning and is some kind of foreign jurisdiction where you'll never be able to sue to get your money back. And Apple just says, hey, sorry about that, that they work as intended, that they respect users' privacy, that they don't introduce malware, etc. And they say that it is not pretextual. They also talk about the agreements that Epic made in entering into the license agreement. Epic specifically agreed that it would not attempt to hide, misrepresent, 
or obscure any features, content, services, or functionality in its submitted applications from Apple's review or otherwise hinder Apple from being able to fully review such applications. Likewise, the guidelines prohibit apps that include any hidden or undocumented features and requires that developers do not attempt to cheat the system or trick the review process. Now that's pretty good broad language from a lawyer's point of view, right? Attempt to cheat the system or trick the review process is enormously broad language that Apple now gets to interpret in this specific context. And I don't know that there are a lot of people disagreeing with this assertion, but Epic, by changing an app to say, hey, maybe there'll be more payment options. They might've listed that. It's a little bit unclear in the various documents that are put forth so far, but not showing any changes, getting it reviewed at Apple, and then changing it in the middle of the night via hotfix to allow for this separate payment. There's very little doubt that that is attempting to cheat the system or to trick the review process. And so Epic does have the problem that they acted surreptitiously. They acted under cover of night. And Epic's main answer to that is the entire contract is illegal, so nothing here is something that should bind our behavior. That's always going to be a tough thing for a court to swallow when the court hasn't decided that the contract is illegal in the first place. Continuing on, they want to make clear that the App Store is not a public utility. Epic has no right to reap all the benefits Apple and the App Store provide without having to pay a penny. And they've also said to Epic, Surely, Epic must understand that Apple is entitled to a return on its investment and the use of its property. After all, Epic takes great pains to protect its own investments in intellectual property, and you get that response in a number of places, just like you saw in the introductory statement. When it comes to striking the balance between developer desires and creating a safe, secure, and reliable experience for users, Apple's letter to Epic made clear that it always errs on the side of the consumer. Epic wanted to have the right to the App Store, wanted to do all these things with their own App Store, with their own payment process, but Apple felt that that was insecure. And then they make a pretty good point to the judge, which maybe if you're not inclined to believe Apple, you don't think is as good of a point as I do, but they bring back up one of the things they mentioned in their opposition to the temporary restraining order. In 2018, Fortnite announced that Android versions of the game would be available on the web, and immediately... Sites appeared that not only advertised Android Fortnite, but also distributed malware in the game. By 2019, Epic acknowledged security vulnerabilities in non-iOS versions of Fortnite that exposed hundreds of millions of players to being hacked. Although Apple does not leave it to any given developer to keep the iOS platform safe and secure, Epic in particular had demonstrated that it could not be entrusted with this type of responsibility. That is what we call officially in the legal profession, a sick burn. Epic in particular demonstrated that it couldn't be trusted with security. So judge, hey, maybe you don't think these rules are necessary in a broad scope kind of setting, but you're only judging the case or controversy presented to you. And so you're only judging Epic versus Apple here. We think we should point out that the last time Epic tried to do some chicanery with Fortnite, it went pretty bad for people's privacy. It went pretty bad for hacking and for security. And so while we might accept this from a different company, maybe somebody a little bit more trustworthy, yeah, Epic in particular, they've demonstrated that they cannot be entrusted with this type of responsibility. That's a pretty effective rhetorical device and a pretty effective complaint document. As of the date, version 13.40 was submitted to Apple for review and approval. Epic servers and therefore the in-app payment screen in the Fortnite app 
reflected that IAP was the only available payment option for in-app purchases as required by the party's contractual agreements. And so Epic's Trojan horse was approved and published to the App Store. I think this might be the first time we've referenced this in the video, but Apple repeatedly calls Epic's move here a Trojan horse, which to my mind maybe isn't a great rhetorical device because I always think of the Trojan horse as an enormously clever uh, action, but certainly it's taken on a negative light in the age of digital infrastructure where you've got Trojan horse virus introduction and things like that. Hours later, Epic changed the data on its own servers such that when queried by the Fortnite app, Epic server would direct the payment interface in the app to reflect two different payment options, IAP and Epic's new direct payment system, which was not approved or reviewed by Apple and allowed Epic to bypass payment to Apple and divert payments from consumers to itself. Epic's breach was flagrant and larcenous. Big words coming out now. They mean they're stealing. On the same day that it was terminated as a registered developer and its developer agreement and license agreement were terminated by their respective terms, Epic removed IAP altogether from Fortnite's payment interface. I didn't know this before reading this document. Leaving Epic's unauthorized external payment mechanism as the sole means of making in-app purchases through the app and diverting to itself even more of the commissions to which Apple is contractually entitled. On information and belief, Epic has consummated millions of dollars of transactions and has paid Apple nothing. Understand this bit. The judge is already upset at Epic, has already referred to the marketing motions that they immediately launched into as part of this as somewhat suspect, has talked in the temporary restraining order denial portion that she wasn't sure that Epic would have a high likelihood of succeeding on the merits of this case. And now Apple brings up another reference to unclean hands, right? Epic has already breached its agreement, already breached it just by introducing a second button. Then when they knew it was on the eve of their app developer license being cut off by Apple because Apple had given them 14 days, which they didn't have to by the terms of their agreement, and Epic knew they weren't going to do anything to fix it, they turned off the in-app purchase button. They turned off the in-app purchase button on their own side, presumably, because Apple wasn't approving anything on their side. And now the kind of limbo iOS Fortnite access that people have only have the pay Epic directly button in direct breach of what Apple has put forth in its contract. This is the kind of behavior which is unlikely to be looked upon kindly by the court of law. And Apple is wise to bring it up here. It was a shock and a bit of a surprise to me when I read that they had taken this move. And again, Epic, self-righteous, believes the contract is illegal and they can do anything outside of the law to help themselves here. What we, we see referenced in this document as self-help. And the law doesn't look greatly upon that either. You're supposed to act under the court of law. A court is supposed to determine whether the contract is illegal. And then all of this stuff kind of spills out from there. Here, Epic has just said, we know illegal when we see it. And so we're just going to breach it flagrantly. And now I think it's going to look pretty bad for Epic in the eyes of the judge. Epic's orchestrated challenge to the App Store. Epic has not contested that it breached the license agreement and the guidelines. Instead, Epic's apparent plan was to violate the agreements intentionally as part of an orchestrated legal and public relations strategy to avoid the commissions to which Apple is contractually entitled. The moment Fortnite was removed from the App Store, Epic launched an extensive smear campaign and litigation plan against Apple. As some of you have asked in this space, will that affect the legal nature of this complaint? The answer is no. 
ultimately at the end of the day, once you get to the final adjudication, if it ever got there in this particular case, and like all cases, I assume they will settle or otherwise go away. But if it ever got to final adjudication in this particular instance, this would all go away as well. This is really a complaint about whether or not they have unclean hands, whether or not any kind of equitable power of the court should be used, like a preliminary injunction or a temporary restraining order, et cetera, et cetera. And Apple rightly brings it up here because it is clear that Epic baited this instance, is deliberately in breach, could fix it in two seconds, and they want to keep hitting that point because the judge seemed amenable to that point in her response to the temporary restraining order request. They also say that some Epic customers, based on materials attached to Epic's TRO motion, have seen through Epic's subterfuge to understand that Epic is using its own customers as pawns in its orchestrated campaign against Apple. This is what I've referred to as them being used as hostages, but pawns is also good. Apple here is saying, hey, look, judge, you can look at their own temporary restraining order where they are trying to claim that Apple's actions have reflected negatively on Epic when in fact this entire dispute, this entire set of events exists because of Epic's actions. And so you can see just in their own documents, judge, that Epic's own people are saying, Epic, this is your fault. And they try to spin that back at us. But you, you too, judge, should see through Epic's subterfuge. Epic's flagrant disregard for its contractual commitments and other misconduct has caused significant harm to Apple. It's an important sentence because this is going to be what sets up their request for damages. Upon information and belief, Epic has reaped millions of dollars in in-app purchases through its unauthorized external purchase mechanism, thereby diverting to itself commissions that Apple was entitled to possess under the license agreement. That 30%. This is theft, period. They have used access to our iOS. They have used access to our hardware. They agreed to pay us a certain amount of funds for that access, and they have nevertheless refused to do so. Judge, that is stealing our money. Furthermore, left unchecked, Epic's conduct threatens the very existence of the iOS ecosystem and its tremendous value to consumers. And this is the crux of the argument, right? This is the crux of the people that come into my comments and say, Rick, you're biased. You're seeing this only one way. I will fully admit that I see this as Epic trying to cut down a business model that even if I don't myself like that much, I believe that other people should have the right to purchase, that they have the right to go ask for a walled garden and curation from a beneficent tech overlord if that's what they want. And left unchecked, Epic's theory of the case would destroy not just the iOS ecosystem, but every walled garden ecosystem. And the ultimate fight is, should this business model be illegal? And I think no. I think reasonable minds can say yes. But ultimately, both the judge and Epic and Apple need to fully understand that that's what this fight is about. And Apple surely does, because it's an existential fight for them. Their entire iOS ecosystem, their iPhones, their iPads, lives on the notion that they can control access to that hardware. And if they can't, their branding, the value that they purport to give to users will be negatively affected. And maybe it'll be positively affected for the portion of you that want to go and have an iPhone that's open access. But they won't be able to sell it the way they wanted to sell it. And in my opinion, they should be allowed to sell it that way. And they haven't been shown to be a monopolistic actor using their access to their own walled garden in a fashion that other folks like Steam and Xbox and GameStop or Best Buy or anyone else hasn't used it themselves. Which brings us to Apple's claims against Epic directly. Breach of contract. That one's pretty easy, right? 
Among other requirements, the license agreement required that Epic not hide, misrepresent, or obscure any features, content, services, or functionality in its apps, or provide, unlock, or enable additional features or functionality through any mechanism outside of the App Store. Dead to rights. These claims are absolute 100% wins for Apple if their contract is valid and not void for public policy reasons or otherwise as an illegal restraint of trade or monopoly conduct under the Antitrust Act at the federal level or the various California laws that were also brought up. While the use of IAP to consummate the transaction is not a condition to Epic's obligation to pay Apple's commission, in the event that it is determined to be, that condition is excused because Epic by its own conduct hindered, prevented, or made impossible the performance of the condition. Break that one down a little bit. They want to go get their 30%, not just of what they are not getting right now, but also anything that anybody would have paid through Epic Direct Payment, right? Even if you bought it for $8, Apple says, look, that was still through our phone. That was still on iOS and you have agreed to pay us 30%. And that is a separate obligation from agreeing to not do what you just did. So you still owe us 30% of the money that went straight into your bank account. Then they further say, hey, look, judge, if you want to say that the actual IAP payment process was connected to the 30%, then you still should give us that money because Epic deliberately got out of that through false and malicious conduct that we have otherwise asserted in this document. Additionally, Epic's breaches of its contractual obligations are ongoing and have, in fact, become more egregious over time. Consumers who downloaded the version of Fortnite containing Epic's hotfix are currently only able to make in-app purchases using Epic's unauthorized external payment mechanism and do not even have the option of using Apple's trusted IAP system. I probably wouldn't have thrown trusted in there. I think you made your claim good enough. But suffice it to say, this is one of those bad acts that I think Epic is really going to trip over, right? They've asked for a preliminary injunction asking the court to restore Fortnite as it exists right now and to not allow Apple to change it. And right now, Epic doesn't even have an IAP button in there at all. That's going to look terrible to the judge. And I really do think Apple is going to be able to use this point as significant leverage against the request for a preliminary injunction that Epic put forth on Friday. As such, Apple requests that the court permanently enjoin Epic from facilitating, assisting, or participating in the continued operation of Epic's unauthorized external payment mechanisms in its apps, including Fortnite, can't use that direct payment, the introduction of any further unauthorized external payment mechanisms into any iOS apps, including Fortnite, you can't do it again, can't try something different, and the removal of IAP as an available payment mechanism for in-app purchases through any iOS apps, including Fortnite. So now we're talking about those limbo Fortnite products that are out there, that are still on iOS, Court, we are asking you to get rid of this direct payment feature and to restore the IIP feature, at least for the duration of this case, until we decide whether the contract is a problem or not. And honestly, I sit here and I can't really disagree with that complaint that Apple brings. Breach of implied covenant of good faith and fair dealing. We've talked about this. This is an equitable statement. This is an equitable stance in a court of law. This says, okay, maybe the words on the page don't get us to where we need to go. And all of these counts should be deemed as being argued in the alternative. Apple thinks they have them dead to rights in count one, but maybe you don't judge. We get down to count two and they say, hey, to the extent that any of Epic's bad faith actions did not breach the express terms of the license agreement, Epic frustrated Apple's right to receive the benefits of the agreement that both parties actually made, including by publishing an update to Fortnite that circumvented payment of commissions to which Apple was contractually entitled. 
by violating the guidelines and by otherwise undermining Apple's operation and maintenance of the App Store. So another way they look, judge, maybe you don't agree with this being a violation of this particular section. It's obviously a violation of the spirit of the agreement these parties have entered into. We would never have entered into this agreement if we didn't get some kind of commission. That's how our business model works. We would go bankrupt if we didn't get a commission on this stuff. So please look at good faith and fair dealing. And in all honesty, if this contract is wound up to be held valid, this is a winner as well, because Epic is clearly violating the spirit and the concept of the document they entered into. Or quasi-contract, unjust enrichment. Again, in the alternative, Epic has been unjustly enriched at the expense of Apple through the conduct described in this complaint, including by diverting to itself through fraud or coercion commissions that rightfully belong to Apple. Those monies were supposed to go into Apple's account and then remitted to Epic, and instead they went into Epic's account, which means that you changed the entire model of how this flow of funds was to work, and you were unjustly enriched by your actions. Court, let's go get that money back. You interfered with our prospective economic advantage. We have an economic relationship with our users, in particular those who have downloaded the Fortnite app, and Apple had a reasonable expectation to profit from that relationship. This is a part of the business model. Epic's conduct actually interfered with Apple's relationships with its consumers, in particular those who made purchases through apps, Epic's unauthorized external purchase mechanism by depriving Apple of the economic benefit it reasonably expected to receive. Additionally, Epic undertook its tortious conduct with malice and or fraud. It did very bad things, Judge, and it didn't do them accidentally. It did them out of spite and to defraud Apple. Apple is therefore entitled to punitive damages to punish Epic for its malicious and or fraudulent misconduct. We should get extra money because Epic is extra bad in this particular case. And they bring up Mr. Sweeney's August 13th, 2020 email, which confirms that Epic was well aware of Apple's expectations, that it would profit from Fortnite, and Epic made the willful decision to interfere with those relationships, to breach its contract. Again, if the contract is valid, none of these arguments are bad. Epic's tortious conduct also threatens Apple's reputation and goodwill with its customers. As such, Apple requests that the court permanently enjoin Epic in continuing operation of Epic's unauthorized external payment in Fortnite, introduction of other unauthorized external payments, and the removal of IAP. Same request for injunction as above. Count five, simple conversion. Conversion is law for stealing. The license agreement provides that all payments from consumers would be delivered to Apple's possession. That didn't happen. Instead, Epic got the money and Apple has been injured by at least the amount of the commission that we would have received. And because this was done willfully, we are once again entitled to punitive damages. Finally, count six, which is pretty interesting. This is a request for a declaratory judgment. This isn't actually damages or even an injunction. As we've talked about in prior videos in this series, there is contract language in their developer agreements on both the Unreal side and the Fortnite side that suggests certain things that Apple can get out of their contracts because of fraud, uh, misconduct, and most importantly to my eye, for convenience, for any reason or no reason, on 30 days written notice. And what we will see here is an, a request of the judge, despite her temporary restraining order at the end of August, saying, Judge, here's the situation with the contracts. We should be allowed to get out of this relationship. Epic is bad. They've done all these things in the dark of night, but also just under the contract language itself, we should be allowed to separate ourselves. Separate from this dispute, we don't need a reason. This was the contract relationship that we entered into. 
As they say, under the express terms of the developer agreement, Apple has the right to terminate Epic as a registered Apple developer at any time in Apple's sole discretion. Likewise, Apple has the express right under the license agreement to immediately terminate the agreement and all rights and licenses granted by Apple hereunder and any services provided hereunder if Epic engages in any misleading, fraudulent, improper, unlawful, or dishonest act relating to this agreement, including but not limited to misrepresenting the nature of any submitted application. The license agreement also provides that either party may terminate this agreement for its convenience for any reason or no reason, effective 30 days after providing the other party with written notice of its intent to terminate. The court denied Epic's request as to Epic Games Inc., our termination, but restrained Apple from suspending or terminating any affiliate of Epic Games, such as Epic International, from Apple's developer program. And this was what was at issue in the temporary restraining order, right? The judge was convinced that the Unreal Engine component of this entire fight was something that should be prevented from being caused harm, that Apple shouldn't be allowed to hurt the Epic Games affiliates that were otherwise working with developers on Unreal Engine. And one of the things I said in response to that particular temporary restraining order is it made a certain amount of sense at that early stage. Temporary restraining order is very early in a court process. The judge doesn't have all the background. She even says that in the temporary restraining order document. But that ultimately, it would be very difficult for the court to say, Apple, regardless of what your contract says about termination for convenience, you are forced to work with these people. Because outside of all this, the day after this court case ends, you're not going to force Apple to have a relationship with somebody they don't want to have a relationship with. That's not the court's job, and that's not what we would expect under freedom of contract in the United States. So ultimately, this question becomes, is the court going to force this relationship for the duration of the case for no other reason than because Epic and the third-party developers would be harmed by Epic's actions, or more specifically, Apple's actions in response to Epic's actions? And I do think that is a difficult claim for the court to make. Apple therefore has standing to seek declaratory judgment of its rights under the developer agreement and license agreement with Epic and its affiliates. Apple seeks and is entitled to a declaratory judgment. This is a statement from the court that this is okay, that the developer agreement and license agreement are valid, lawful, and enforceable contracts, which is gonna be itself a little bit difficult because it's currently being sued for those being antitrust restraint of trade. Apple's termination of the developer agreement with Epic was valid, lawful, and enforceable. Apple's termination of the license agreement with Epic for cause was valid, lawful, and enforceable. So the actions that were taken on August 28th were all fine. Apple has the contractual right to terminate its developer agreement with any or all of Epic's wholly owned subsidiaries, affiliates, and or other entities under Epic's control, including Epic International. That's your Unreal Engine piece at any time and at Apple's sole discretion. And... Apple has the contractual right to terminate the license agreement with any of those affiliates for any reason or no reason upon 30 days written notice or effective immediately for any misleading, fraudulent, improper, unlawful, or dis dishonest act relating to the license agreement. So another way, they want the court to say, okay, that temporary restraining order prevented us from terminating these agreements, but now we are putting these agreements in play. You can read these agreements. You can see our rights there under. We want you to tell us that what we did on August 28th was fine. And we also want you to affirm that pursuant to the language of these contracts, we can cut off Epic's affiliates. And understand, Epic is clearly concerned about that. Epic dropped almost every argument in its request for temporary restraining order except protection of the Unreal Engine side, what is described here as Epic International's relationship with Apple. And Apple is now looking for the judge to say, you know what? 
you're allowed to terminate for convenience. So if you can terminate for convenience, here's 30 days written notice and you can get rid of them all because you're under no obligation to have them in your developer program. To my eye, that's a very compelling argument. I will tell you that might not be a compelling argument to the judge. The judge might say, hey, look, if this all turns out to be you committing an antitrust violation, then all of these actions that are taken against these various parties are in in and of themselves bad acts. And so we should try to preserve the status quo before all of this happened as much as possible. That being said, the stuff that was brought up here, the timing component, that Tim Sweeney had that email ready the same day that he actually agreed to the license agreement, that when they were to be terminated, that Apple gave them the 14 days notice on that last day, they turned off IAP to be doubly bad actors in all likelihood in the court's eyes. I think this has a real chance of success. And if this does succeed, if they do get a declaratory judgment of this type, then what you've got is you've got an Apple company that can cut off Unreal Engine, that can cut off Fortnite, that can cut off Epic completely and do serious damage to their business model in the mobile app environment. As they said in their request for an injunction going the opposite direction, only 63%, I believe, of iOS users that they, pre- that they previously had are currently still using Fortnite, and we would only expect that number to go down. Finally, Apple finishes off with an indemnification claim. Hey, look, in our contract, they agree to indemnify us. We think we should get that indemnification. That's one that's only a winner if, the, if something else is a winner uh, because Epic was deemed to be a violator of the contract and otherwise Apple is entitled to that indemnification. It's really just a throw-in, uh, in my opinion. And then they want the court to decree that they're liable for breach, liable for intentional interference, liable for conversion, liable as unfair competition in California to give Apple those damages, the punitive damages, attorney's fees, interest, give us the whole shebang. Epic is so bad, we deserve everything. And you need to enjoin Epic from doing this various things and anything else that the court would deem just and proper. So in a svelte 77 minutes of our own, we got through 67 pages of legalese, hopefully in an informative, educational, lighthearted, and fun way. Please do leave in the comments to this video your own thoughts on whether or not Apple brought the fire whether or not you buy their rhetoric, you prefer Epic's rhetoric, what this means to the other analysis that you've seen online out and about, whether that's from the journalistic outlets in video games, the Kotaku's, the Verges, the Polygons, wherever else you might find this news, or maybe it's other YouTubers that you like that are covering this. Maybe the game theorists will cover this again, maybe with a disclaimer that they were sponsored by Epic as well. But any way you slice it, everybody's going to have opinions on this kind of thing. This really is one of those seminal bits of case law that is very likely to inform how antitrust is perceived, certainly in video games, but perhaps even broader throughout the entire digital hardware landscape of our lives. So I'm glad that you joined me here. I'm glad that you stuck it out now for almost an hour and 20 minutes. If you like this, this is what we do on virtual legality. So please like, share, subscribe, tell people that we're here, tell people that we are doing deep dives into important legal documents, not just because it's important, also because it's fun. This is two mega giant corporations paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to attorneys to fight amongst themselves over hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars of revenue. You don't get a case like this every day. And Google will join the fray. We'll cover them. They've got very small amounts of legal filings. I think they're going to try to slow play that for a while. 
But this is only the tip of the iceberg, and I'm very thankful that you've chosen to spend this time with me. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will definitely catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.